This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Local Europe Edition, recorded in Stockholm on Thursday, the 16th of November 2017. My name is James Savage, and with me is Emma Lufgren. This week, we'll be turning the air blue as we discuss why the F word is all the rage in France. Also, why Jamaica is in vogue in Germany, and why deporting the country's most talented workers is on trend in Sweden. And speaking of talented workers, you've been hard at work this week, James, <laughs> setting up the locals' first membership scheme. Membership, is that really just a fancier word of saying paywall? Well, no, not exactly. Uh, the idea is that um, there is a paywall. So we'll be asking readers who read a lot or who want to read certain premium articles to pay something to read the local in Sweden. But no, it's it's about it's, it's much more than that. It's about giving readers a greater insight into the local in introducing readers to each other and giving them a chance to network. So we'll be holding member events. We'll also be um, giving readers uh, special offers. So there's a lot more than just the paywall, but the paywall is part of it. And, you know, I think we've got to be honest that in 2017, journalism costs money. It's always cost money. And you need different ways of paying for that. And uh, that readers pay something for certain kinds of content is, I think, reasonable. And lots of other people are doing it too. So what kind of content can they be expecting from us? So we're going to be looking particularly at content that goes deeper into the news. We'll also be giving practical stuff, practical insights into um, how to do certain things in Sweden, interviews as well. So uh, a much a much uh, deeper and broader set of content that uh, this will enable us to produce. And we'll be doing the same thing in Germany and uh, France over time. Okay, and one of the first articles is about deputations in Sweden. So I'm going to hand over to you, James, and you can explain a little bit more about that. Okay. Sweden's burgeoning tech scene is crying out for talent, which is why growing companies like music streaming firm Spotify and payments company Klarna have been recruiting thousands of programmers, developers and others from around the world. But there's a problem. Hundreds, even thousands of workers in Sweden are being thrown out the country after the authorities refuse to renew their permits, often for minor breaches of their terms. And despite an uproar from businesses and workers alike, the problem has not gone away. 
Catherine Edwards has been looking into the issue for our first premium article on uh, the locals' new uh, membership site in Sweden. Catherine, who are these people? And why are they being kicked out of the country? You mentioned Spotify and the tech sector has been one of the hardest hit because that's an area where there's a huge skills shortage both in Sweden and across the whole of the EU. But it's also hit workers in the construction, care and sales industries. And the problem comes up after two years because that's when you have to renew your work permit in order to stay in Sweden. So it's workers who are already well integrated, they likely speak the language and have built up a life for themselves in Sweden. And what the migration agency does when it's looking into these permits is if there's any sort of error, then they don't renew it. So these people get sent back home. And these rules were brought in to avoid exploitation, to ensure that the employers were giving the same terms and conditions that they'd signed up to. So things like salary, working hours and holiday. Um, But that ended up being implemented very strictly so that even very minor errors can result in deportations and workers being sent home. So basically, if your HR department doesn't do exactly what they're supposed to do to the letter, there's no forgiveness. Yes, even when it wasn't perhaps possible to do that. So some insurances in Sweden, you can't get them as soon as you move because you don't have the social security number. But then two years later, you could find yourself having your work permit denied just because you didn't have that insurance from day one. And and isn't it the case as well that when, if employers discover that they've made a mistake and they try to rectify that, but by, for example, you know, backdating uh, insurance payment or something like that, then that's not good enough either. Yes, in a lot of cases, the employers have tried to fix it. They might have made up their salary in retrospect, but this doesn't count for anything in the eyes of the migration agency. But you've spoken to employers and the workers themselves about this. What are their feelings about it? I think the main thing is a sense of frustration, both for the impact on the employee and the other colleagues, and also the fact that in many cases it's not the fault either of the employee or their current employer if it's something that's happened maybe two years ago or further back. And in terms of the future, the companies are also worried about losing valuable people and maybe having to recruit replacements when they've trained people up for their specific systems and they've got the expertise that's needed. This seems so idiotic and unfair. I mean, it sounds to me like from what you're saying that it's bad for the country and it's bad for the workers and it's bad for the companies and it's really not good for anybody. So surely someone must be doing something about it. So what are they doing about it and why haven't they done it yet? It's taken a very long time for the government to address this, despite campaigning from the tech sector, from different groups representing both companies and the affected workers. But at the moment, the government is looking at putting forward a proposal which will allow employers who've already fixed their errors to retain their employees. So in the meantime, workers whose employers have got something wrong or, or just made made a little mistake they they're still they're still vulnerable to being thrown out of the country yes exactly so this has been going on for over a year now with lots of people who've come to the end of their options for appeal and many valuable employees have already been sent back to their home countries all right so so much for sweden's liberal migration policy Catherine, thanks very much The Jamaican Tourist Board might turn out to be the only winner of the German election. 
They have been enjoying the free publicity as Angela Merkel tries to cobble together a so-called Jamaica coalition with the Greens and the Liberal FDP. But while it's going nicely for the Caribbean island, it's not going so well for Mrs Merkel. The talks are going down to the wire. We're recording this on Thursday, the deadline for talks to conclude. And failure to sign a deal could mean fresh elections. Jörg Lücken from the local Germany joins us. Now, Jörg, when we were planning this podcast and James said to me, let's talk about the Jamaica coalition in Germany. I said, what's a Jamaica coalition? So, Jörg, why is it called a Jamaica coalition? It's called a Jamaica coalition because that is the fun way Germans have of making their politics a little bit less dry. So the Greens are involved, so that's the colour green, the Free Democrats, they're a pro-business party and their colour is yellow. And the Merkel CDU, their colour is black, so you've got green, yellow, black, and that's the colours of the Jamaican flag. It's also the colours of the flag of Benin, I found out. So you could also call it a Benin coalition, but they don't. By the time people are listening to this, we'll know whether there's going to be a deal or not. But... Um, so I should correct that. There won't be any deal signed this evening. This is the end of preliminary talks. And, and, and so if, if, these, if they don't come to an agreement on pre- preliminary talks, then that's it over. Then, then they're not going to try anymore to create the Jamaica coalition. So what happens if they do collapse? This has never happened in Germany, so uh, there's sort of very dry reports in Spiegel and other newspapers trying to explain it. Um, basically, the Bundestag would need to vote three times on a potential uh, chancellor. If they can't get an absolute majority, then the president will um, call new elections, and then they have to take place within 60 days. But if they do agree, will it be business as usual for Merkel, or will we end up seeing a different kind of Germany in the end? It's completely untested to have a government with four parties in it, so it's going to be less stable, one would imagine. Um, but they are all bound to the they sign a coalition contract, and they are all bound to this contract. When it comes down to the actual policies, what is it that they're finding so hard to agree on? And what sort of things might a new government propose to do? Well, I think there's, according to Die Zeit, the very respected newspaper, there's still 30 points that they of contention they haven't agreed on. But everything like cannabis laws, the Greens and the FDP want to legalise cannabis and the CSU, who are the very conservative sister party to uh, Angela Merkel's CDU are dead against cannabis legalisation. But then there's a much bigger issue, and that is um, refugees and whether refugees should be able to reunite with their families. The CSU are completely against this and most things that encourage more refugees to come to Germany. And the Greens um, have a voter base who are very pro-refugee. And there's also... The coal power plants, there's cars, whether whether diesel and petrol cars should be banned from German roads or um, should no longer be built after 2030. So there's a whole bunch of contentious issues. Contentious and pretty sort of fundamental things uh, here. These aren't marginal kinds of policies that they're disagreeing on. Yeah, these, are, these are major things, and I think that it was much easier for um, Merkel to come to a coalition agreement with the SPD, who are a big centre-left party, but ultimately their voter base is big enough that they still fundamentally want to ensure um, jobs for their voters. All right, Jörg, thanks very much.
All right, people of a sensitive disposition, get ready to cover your ears because the air in here is about to turn a special shade of blue. Yes, we're going to be talking about swearing and swearing in a foreign language. If you spend any time in a non-English speaking country, you probably won't have to wait very long before you hear English swear words in places you wouldn't expect on the TV, on the radio, and often long before kids have gone to bed. The French newspaper 20 Minutes has a section called and please excuse me, what the fuck? TV station Canal Plus has a show called What the Fuck France. In France this week, my colleagues have been reflecting over this and Ben McPartland, editor of the local France, joins us now. First, Ben, do your friends swear a lot in English? My French friends, yeah, they do. It's very common. In fact, I've got so used to it now. They tend to use they tend to use English words a lot in their conversation anyway. So to use, you know, the word fuck, it's kind of another level up for them trying to appear a bit more Anglo, a bit more cool, um, which is kind of what a kind of younger generation of Parisians are kind of tending to do at the moment. And I have to say, it's not just the F word. It's actually the C word, the you know, the unsayable C word, which we have in English, uh, which they tend to use as well, which is, you know, which really kind of stops you in your tracks and stuns you. And you kind of, um, you know, the amount of times I've had to explain to people, like, you can't just use those kind of words. You know, it depends. Unless someone has wronged your whole family or, you know, they've sent naked pictures of you to your boss, you can't just call them a C-U-N-T, you know, because you have to understand in English, the next word that you'll probably use after C-U-N-T is going to be ow, because it's often followed by fisticuffs, you know what I mean? It's it's that strong, and they just don't get the strength of these words, uh, which is the main problem. But, but but this is a double standard that certainly British people got. You swear all the time, but then when a foreigner uses the word, it's like, oh, <laughs> mustn't say the fuck. I swear. Yeah, okay, I do. I swear all the time. I love swearing. They are absolutely my favourite words in the whole English language. I use them all the time. I swear in Swedish as well. I think it's fabulous. But I still react when I hear in the middle of the day on you know, a family radio show. And this is a podcast, so we're a bit bit more free to swear, but something about broadcast on national TV or radio that, I don't know, it makes it a bit more sensitive, don't you think, Ben? I think, going back to Emma's point, yes, we swear, of course we swear, but I think it's in context that we are used to and comfortable with, whether it's uh, shouting at the television during a football match or um, just in an argument in a pub or just slagging someone off behind their back or whatever. It's not kind of talking about your family holiday or, um, you know, um, yeah, like you say, in the middle of afternoon or when you stand in dog poo and you shout the words, you know, effing C-U-N-T in the air. You're just like, I think the times when when people have sworn at me, French people have sworn, it's just been, ah, it's been totally out of context and it it takes you by surprise. Let's not pretend that we're all... um, you know, that we're all kind of too sanctimonious to swear. Of course we do, but it's for me, it's the context. I mean, the fact that the uh, Canada's broadcasting watchdog has allowed uh, the word fuck in in French, but not in English, shows that there's a kind of, uh, there's a, an imbalance between what it means in French to French people and what it means in English, you know? What about swearing in French, though? Is that is that OK on the telly, too? Because, I mean, I know my French friends, you hear it all the time, they're putain merde fichier, it's all like uh, the, the air turns blue quite easily in France. But, I mean, on the telly, is, is, it, is, there, a, is there a lot of swearing? I, God, you know, I mean, it's hard to really pinpoint it. But, I mean, yeah, in terms of, like, the swear words the French use, they're a lot, they're a lot, uh, of, they say, of a lower strength, if we can say that. And, yeah, like you said, the word putain is like, it's just, you hear it's so common, you know, it's as common as bonjour almost. And and it's hard to say it in. It's hard to to people say. Oh, you know, if I say fuck, we say putain. It's like nah. It's not the equivalent. You can't really compare them. 
Is there know, a is there an equivalent word? Is there something that's you know really strong in French? What would what would be your strongest French swear word? I mean, some people after we wrote this article about the French using the word fuck so often, you know, people emailed us suggestions. One was uh, la chatte, which is like the French word for pussy, you know, f- uh, female private parts, which said like that will bring about the same kind of reaction if you use it in a French audience as using the word the word fuck in an English audience. But there's not really a kind of direct equivalent. There are words that will still um, shock people. I mean, I wouldn't be using swear words in front of my mother-in-law any time of the day, any kind of word, you know. It all depends on, on context. And I think when we talk about French people swearing a lot, it definitely is a kind of younger, cooler generation who are more inclined to do it. And I have to say, it does work the other way around, um, you know, in terms of English people swearing in French. I think we've, we, we've adapted to that quite, quite well as well, you know. And the Swedish swear words are fun as well because they're, they're like, devil, Satan. <laughs> 17. <laughs> 17. Go yeah. to the forest. It's, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty strong, go to the forest. It's so weird. But, they, yeah. but, but directly translated words. I mean, it's like in French, you know, putain is like uh, prostitutes. Like, oh, prostitutes. Um, I don't know, it doesn't sound so strong when you translate it. So if any of our readers have um, suggestions for their strongest French uh, swear word, please send it in. Interested to hear German, uh, Spanish, Italian and Swedish ones too. But Ben, thanks very much. You can fuck off now. (laughs) Okay, cheers. But actually that's it from us for this week. We hope you've enjoyed listening and it would be great if you could subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and it'd be even greater if you could give us a rating. And even better than that, actually, is if you could get in touch with us and tell us what you think. You can find us on Twitter at the Local Europe or on Facebook. Auf Wiedersehen from me. And it's Hedor from me. Ciao. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.